G'day everybody, it is Nick Bradley here and welcome to this week's show. Now, I bet you've had a look at the title of today's episode and you've seen the word tax or tax planning and you've gone, oh, you know what, I don't want to sit through 30, 45 minutes of Nick talking about accountancy and finance. Well, you know what? You couldn't be further from the truth because today's guest is David Lesperance and he is one of the world's leading international tax and immigration advisors. Why have I got David on the show? Well, actually, this episode, this conversation is very much a personal one to me because right now, you know, I live in the UK, I work in the US, I do work in Dubai, I'm originally from Australia. I don't have to be anywhere. I, you know, I can I can live anywhere in the world because my business is global and to some extent it is virtual. So what that starts to conjure up is, is there a way that I can be more efficient with tax? You know, is there a way that I can start to build more wealth by being efficient with tax? Is there a different lifestyle that I could have because I'm not tied to any one location? And I know this is an important conversation because I know a lot of you out there are in a similar situation to me or you want to be in that situation. And if there was a way that you could create a different way of living where it's more efficient, more effective for you, you'd certainly want to consider it. So we're going to get into the concept today of backup plans. What do we mean by that? Well, here's the summary. You may be living somewhere right now where you're paying a lot of tax. It may not be the lifestyle that you want. There might be some things coming in the horizon, which means that you need to make some transitions, some shifts. And that's what we mean by a backup plan. So we really start kind of doing that that deep dive and then look at all the different locations and jurisdictions which would meet that need and which um, work for the family, both in a timing point of view and also from a tax point of view, making sure that we can get net as close to gross as possible. What you don't want to be, be is caught in a situation where things change and the world is changing more rapidly than ever and you haven't thought of a change that could be made for you and your family, which could be significantly advantageous. Increasingly, the, the top 1%, what we'll call the, what I called in a book I co-authored with a London School of Economics professor emeritus, the golden geese are not as tied to a particular location to make or maintain their wealth. So that's what we're going to get into today. If you are someone who is starting to think, you know what, I, I want to learn a little bit more how I can put more money in my back pocket than paying for things that I don't necessarily need, want or agree with, then this is going to be the conversation for you. Welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, David Lesperance. Hey everybody, it is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to today's show. Uh, a topic that is going to be of personal interest to me for reasons that I'll explain very, very shortly. But more importantly, it's going to be fascinating, I think, for you listeners of Scale Up because there isn't a week that goes by that I don't have someone write a letter in or kind of send an email or something like that asking about tax, asking specifically about how do I mitigate tax if I'm going to sell my business? And if I don't have to be in a geography anywhere, I'm not tied to any geography, are there things that I can be thinking about in terms of where I live to mitigate tax, to be able to build more wealth, to make a bigger impact, all that sort of really cool stuff. So with me today is tax savvy immigration advisor. I called him an international tax expert. He didn't like that, but I'm sure he's both of these things. David Lesperance, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Well, the only reason I push back on tax advisor is 
Uh, I always say because I didn't have the personality to be an accountant, I became a tax lawyer. <laughs> I knew there was a story behind it. There we go. Yes. <laughs> but I can tell already that there's, there's a lot of personality behind you that's going to be much more interesting than just the accountancy stuff. I'm, oh, sure, I'm sure you've seen a lot of things, which we're going to get into. So let's kick this off a little bit here. I, I sort of alluded to this in the introduction there. Um, I have, over the last four or five years, built up a global consultancy. I don't have to be tied anywhere. I've got clients all over the world. The majority are in the US, but I have quite a few in the UK and the UAE, those sort of things, a little bit happening in Southeast Asia these days. But all of my income coming into me is US dollars, pretty much. But mm -hmm. I choose to live here in the UK for lots of different reasons. I've been here 20 years, originally grew up in Australia. Um, but we're now starting to think with you know, various businesses that I own getting to exit, different investments that I have. There's some quite big capital events on the horizon. And I'm starting to look at my situation, which again, I'm asking this question, not just for me, for everyone here listening. How do you navigate all this? I mean, where do you start if you're in a situation like I just described? Well, the first place we start at is what is your situation? What are your goals? What are the family needs? Because, you know, a single person just starting in their career is in a different position than a young couple or a couple with children or empty nesters or retirement. So their needs are different. And we have to come up with a plan that will not only make sense tax wise, but that you can sell at the breakfast table that everybody's going to. I'm so glad you said that. I've got, I've got two daughters, 11 and eight. And we, uh, we went to Dubai about a month ago just to kind of check it out. But we really just took them to all the theme parks and things like that, just so they would be Legoland, like, we yeah. love Dubai. We love Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. It's not just, it's not just the money, right? It's also, there's bigger things going on based on your situation. Well, absolutely. Um, so I've been moving uh, American since I got called to the bar in 1990. I grew up uh, in a border city. Half of my family are, are Americans. And also have been moving people in and out of the UK for, again, that period of time. I was a non-dom myself, lived in the UK. Yep. Um, so I've moved my own family three times. And you have to kind of look at what are the what are the 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 needs, what are the the desires. I'll have clients occasionally call me and say, look, I've been sued or I've been audited, move me somewhere where there's no taxes and no lawyers. And I'll say, no problem. We'll move you to Pitcairn Island. Only 67 people have decided that that's where they want to live. Oh, no, 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 no. I want someplace with schools and housing and education and offices and staff and airplane connections and that, you know, is comfortable to live and where maybe I can, you know, go for a bike ride or, you know, ride my motorcycle or do all kinds of different things. So it's really coming up with, I would say that that more than three quarters of, of the families that we move tend to go to what are thought of as high tax countries but are on a lower controlled tax basis. So for example, I'm from originally Canada and Canada can actually be for the right people, a wonderful tax haven. And the initial reaction of Canadians, well, it's a high tax country. It's like, well, no, it only has income and capital gains tax. So it doesn't have wealth tax. It doesn't have a state tax. So it's a wonderful domicile of choice. And if you can control, and I'm going to only throw, I promise, one equation at your your listeners. Oh, you can you can do many of that. I've had the private equity and investment bankers on this show doing all sorts of net present value calculations and all that, mate. So well, well, <laughs> I'll keep it much simpler. X, which is taxable income, yep. 
times y, which is rate, equals z, or for the Canadian listener, z, which is dollars paid. So the goal is to keep the dollars paid as low as possible. y is whatever it's going to be. That's whatever rate is set by the legislature. What you can completely control is the amount that you include in x, taxable income, taxable capital gain. So zero times an even 99.9% .9 rate is still $0 paid. So we do with pre-immigration tax planning or certain regimes, for example, the UK with its non-DOM regime says we don't include an X, anything but UK source or what you remit to the UK. And a number of jurisdictions like Ireland, Malta, and Cyprus also have remittance-like basis. Other jurisdictions like Italy or Greece or Switzerland say we'll fix Z. We'll make it 100,000 in Italy or, or Greece or whatever you negotiate as a forfait for a particular canton. Other jurisdictions say we'll restrict what goes into X, for example, Portugal under the non-habitual tax residence regime. So we look at all of these different factors, but the, the big driver is what's going to work for the family. So mm -hmm. again, I've been first went to Dubai in 1990. My partner lived there for 25 years, very familiar with it. Wonderful place for the right family situation, not a, the right place for other. Same thing with Monaco. You know, I had a client say, oh, I'm going to move to Monaco. One of my business partners moved there. And I said, well, your daughter is an equestrian. Exactly where are you going to stable the horse in Monaco? Oh, well, on, we'll on, have a place a yacht in France. Somewhere, right? Like a... Yeah, well, except <laughs> now you've got to dance between, you know, make sure you don't jump out of the UK pot and into the French, you know, fire tax-wise. So it's understanding kind of what's going to be workable and what's going to be realistic as opposed to kind of what's the, the flavor of the month. Yeah, I mean, and this, this is where I, you know, as I said at the very beginning, this can be a bit you know, you're an expert in this area, but in terms of trying to navigate it from say my position or another entrepreneur listening to this, I mean, what I'll, what I'll do is just kind of unpack it, pack my sort of thinking process, right? Which is, you know, kind of comes into a little bit, I think of what you just said. So I've got two young girls, um, they're in school. One of them is about to transition from primary into, into secondary. Um, you know, they're young enough now they haven't got boyfriends, right? They've got a friends group, but there's, you know, we could move them somewhere. They're at that mm -hmm. point where it's not going to get overly complex. So we've got that. Then we've got, you know, I need to travel to the US all the time, right? That's where a lot of my work is. Um, we've got friends in certain places in the world that we wouldn't mind connecting or being closer to, as opposed to sort of setting up a whole new kind of circle around us. Um, the most important thing I think is mitigating capital events that are potentially going to happen over the next, say, five to 10 years where I don't want to be paying huge amounts of capital gains tax or anything like that. I'd prefer to you know, pocket those things myself, right? So when we've done our own research, which again, as I said, is not the depth of what you would do, the two places that have popped up for us, and I'll, and I'll throw another couple in there as well, is definitely Dubai, because we have friends there and you know we can build different businesses there. It feels like a very entrepreneurial place generally. Mm -hmm. uh, Portugal, which you mentioned mm -hmm. before, and I know there's some changes happening there but a lot of people i know have moved there and then there's been these random ones where you can buy a property in georgia you know in in the eastern block right, <laughs> right? and you get a citizenship and all this stuff and 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 you know back to the lifestyle point you said beforehand that's just not we're not even thinking about that but obviously there's many 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 more things to look at but 
if I, if someone comes to you and says something like that, how, how do you approach that? What's the first thing you say or first thing you ask around that? Well, we sit down and figure out kind of who is moving, what are the needs of the family? So you've got, so education is going to be a large driver. Yeah. So you're going to want to have, you know, am I going to be looking at an international baccalaureate system? Am I looking at an English system where, you know, where, where at some point my children are going to have to, you know, complete uh, O levels and A levels and, and, and do they want to go back into the UK is, and, and one of the things that's interesting, as you mentioned, is increasingly the, the top 1%, what we'll call the, what I called in a book I co-authored with a London School of Economics professor emeritus, the golden geese are no longer tied or not as tied to a particular location to make or maintain their wealth. So in business terms, they're not sticky. And in a jurisdiction like the US, for example, 43% of the total personal tax revenue comes from that top 1%. And because the US does not have a VAT, which most G9 countries do have, mm -hmm. the US also has an extraordinary dependence on personal tax for its revenue. So you can call that fair or unfair. It's just, it's logically an unstable business model. And so, and and I've yet in three plus decades to have a client say, well, yes, David, this makes wonderful sense for financially. This makes wonderful sense for my family, but I'm not going to do it because, you know, an overwhelming majority of the people in the country I'm leaving don't think it's a good idea for them. They're going to act on what's in the best interest of themselves and their families, which is just what we logically do. Yep. Doesn't mean that they don't engage in philanthropy. Doesn't mean that they're not empathetic. It just, they recognize that they can't save everybody else. So let's start with, you know, acting in the family's best interest and then doing whatever is going to be left over um, for, you know, strategic philanthropy or other, other, other things. It's generally not lifestyle. It's more of a security or wanting to pass on to their children everything from maybe a business to, you know, if you're if you're not learning, you're earning. So here's enough money for your education and then out you go um, to, you know, I'm going to, you know, take financial care of, of uh, my family to whatever level they feel comfortable as opposed to what other people feel is appropriate for their family. Um, so we really start kind of doing that that deep dive and then look at all the different locations and jurisdictions which would meet that need and which um, work for the family, both in a timing point of view and also from a tax point of view, making sure that we can get net as close to gross as possible. Yep. We can get you know Z as low as possible in our equation. And so that leaves more money for the the family and to engage in taking care of themselves and any other activities from strategic philanthropy that they they want to engage in. And it's really, really doing a deep dive on that. And it requires, from my point of view, staying up on a lot of different jurisdictions, a lot of different trends. Um, for example, one of the problems right now with inbound into the UK, I have a lot of clients I advise both UK non-doms and UK resident domicile people on their options on leaving or having backup plans. And, you know, 
realistically right now, it looks like labor is going to get in and it looks like Sir Keir has tied the let's get rid of the remittance basis uh, flag to the mast. Uh, he's gone after uh, Rishi Sunak's uh, wife and he's made that an issue. And now him backing away from that is going to be difficult. And so clients going inbound into the UK are sitting there thinking, okay, remittance basis is no longer, may not be there. So am I going to pick up and move from wherever into the UK, establish life inertia in the UK, and then labor comes in and the remittance basis changes it? That's one thing to think about. Another thing to think about is the UK is also the divorce capital of the world. I didn't know that. Uh, absolutely. So, <laughs> I've been married 14 years, I think, or 15 years. I probably should know that. Well, um, <laughs> you know, and, and divorce is a percentage of capital. Right. Okay. Whereas tax is only a percentage of income. So I have nine-year-old twins. So my wife and I may be solid, but if we move into the UK, statistically, one of my two children is going to get divorced. I'm putting my money on my daughter because she's already into the bad boys. Um, and okay. so, uh, you know, that, that's a consideration to have also is labor going to play around with the IHT rules. So inheritance tax. So you want to make sure that the jurisdiction works. You want to make sure that, you know, what are the, what are the planning opportunities to mitigate against things such as taxation or family law? Uh, military service, um, et cetera. So we look at acquiring resident citizenship and domicile and how that impacts from a tax point of view, from a lifestyle point of view, sovereign risk for some jurisdictions. Uh, you may be a non-DOM Saudi, for example, uh, living in the UK and saying, well, I've got a 15-year best buy on my remittance basis anyway. Labor gets in, that could be shortened significantly. And uh, the Al Saud's live for a long time, but you know the current king's kind of pushing it. And we're going to have MBS, who's a young man for several decades. And I had friends that checked into the Ritz Carlton slash Hotel California, and I don't want to have that again. And I only have a Saudi passport. And you know MBS could cancel my passport and said, "Come on in to Riyadh, and we'll renew your passport for you." Um, so you want to have options. So sovereign risk is an issue, for example, um, there are many um, Russians in, in the UK who are not anxious to go back to Putin's Russia or Indians who are not anxious to go back to Modi's India or Saudis or or Chinese who are not you know, anxious to go back to China. So we look at how we mitigate all those risks, how we fulfill all the lifestyle goals, what are all the different options available and how can we do that as tax efficiently as possible and according to the timetable that clients have? Um, so timetable meaning what specifically? The amount of time they may want to be somewhere else or? Well, when when is the risk going to happen? When, when are you going to hit the wall of the hurricane? So for Americans, a lot of them right now are focusing on November 2024 general election. Okay. And I have clients from across the political scale. So I have some clients who say, oh, my God, the Democrats are going to hit the trifecta. And if that comes in and I look at the green book, which is the the tax proposals, 
They're going to bring in increasing capital gain, wash of step ups. They're going to get rid of my grats. They're going to um, bring in a wealth tax or a billionaire tax, taxing unrealized capital gains or increasing capital gains. And gee, will will that happen? And that's a wildfire concern. So I'm worried about that. I've got other clients who say, oh my God, the Republicans are going to get in and I don't want to live in a mega America. Uh, and they may be, and then you've got people with a mix of things such as, okay, I'm worried about rise of anti-Semitism, anti-Asian, any, I'm a member of a political party and I'm worried about the other guys getting in and what impact that's going to have on me. Um, one of the interesting things I grew up uh, uh, in Windsor, Detroit area, when yeah. Detroit was known as Murder City, but back then, you know, it was two drug dealers taking Saturday night specials and shooting at each other. In the U.S. today, it is people walking in with uh, automatic weapons, walking into grade schools. And that is just a reality. So I've had some clients who said, look, I know statistically my children are not going to be part of a mass shooting event, but I know with 100% certainty that they were going to go through active shooter drills. And that every time they walk out the door, I'm going to have that stress. Is today going to be the day? And every time I turn on the TV and I see some helicopter circling some building, I'm going to be wondering, is that my kid's school? And just who needs that stress? And so there's a bunch of different wildfire concerns. And if you're living in a wildfire zone, well, what do you do? Well, you engage in fire prevention. So that may be domestic tax planning. That may be getting personal security. That may be getting a dog or a gun, maybe moving states or locations, et cetera. But you also get fire insurance, which would be an alternative residence, alternative citizenship. And you also get a fire escape plan. So should you perceive the wildfires coming a little too close, you've got a plan to kind of trigger it. This is your this is your plan B, as you were saying before. Your plan B, yeah. Do you recommend and reverse engineering then? I mean, on the basis that like, so again, I'm in the UK and yeah, you know, we're definitely talking about changes of, of uh, government to labor and what impact that's going to have on entrepreneurs because mm -hmm. previous history would suggest it's not overly favorable. Um, and then there's obviously that timing of what that means. Now, I just want to be really clear here to people listening. I'm not against paying tax, right? What I no, am against. Generally, not, my clients are not either. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really just about having control. And, you know, in choosing what I do with that money. Now, it also comes off the back of, you know, we do use certain services here in the UK, but, you know, we have our kids in private school. We're privileged enough to be able to do that. We have that. And there's certain other things, private health. So we don't use a lot of the other bits and pieces. And I quite like that. Right. So that's that's where I'm sort of coming from with it. Let me let me ask you this. So I want to come back to the reverse engineering thing. If someone came to you and said, you know what, we have we have this really good life in this particular country. It could be the U S or the UK, right? You know, something like that, mm -hmm. but, and we want, we want to keep that, but we want to be clever. Let's call it strategic around things that we can do to, you know, get the Z, you know, Z <laughs> as low mm -hmm. as possible. Like for example, you know, setting up a company in Dubai and mitigating some tax that way. Um, do you, do you advise on those type of things or because there, there's yes. got to be a lot of, there's got to be a lot of clever, dare I say it, loopholes. They're not, they're just things that you can do, which are really creative, <laughs> right? Well, it, it's the, again, just because you have fire insurance and a fire escape plan doesn't mean that you need to use it. 
It just means that should you perceive it coming a little too close for your comfort, you've got the plan out, out there. And one of the other things, and I always have to preface this with saying, my siblings and I didn't go nightclubbing looking for Europeans to dance with. But as it turned out, my older sister married a Latvian, then a German. My brother married an Italian. I married a Scotswoman, then a Pole. And my younger sister married an Irishman. Now, I'm the only one of the four to pick up and move to Europe. So I've been dealing with, with citizenship by descent you know, in my own family. But I can tell you, all of my nieces and nephews have done everything from gap years to study to living in i had a niece living in brussels on her italian passport for a decade or so so um it's giving that opportunity not only having a profound effect on your life and that of your children but also future generations so it's it's understanding that type of thing so we oftentimes will get residences and citizenships and domiciles um and understanding how you get that is there some negative things, military service, uh, lack of dual citizenship, uh, et cetera, and understanding a lot of those things for general kind of concerns. And some of these clients may never actually kind of pull the trigger and leaving their existing jurisdiction, but they you know, are expanding their opportunities. That may be business opportunities. That may be property. I have uh, clients right now who are Americans who uh, during the pandemic couldn't travel anymore. Um, they want to own a property in Switzerland. Okay, um, well, certain Swiss properties, you have to either be a Swiss or an EU national or have what's called a C permit. C permits require you to be physically present in Switzerland for six months. They're not physically present anywhere for six months. So it's, you know, looking at all those kind of needs and, and really understanding it. And one of the, the, the things, a lot of, this is not a particularly an American or British or Canadian things. Most people tend to over-index and over-invest in their current location and their current currency. Why? Because it's what they made their money in. It's what's familiar to them. It's what all the domestic advisors are used to. So one of the things that we do uh, that I see and help clients a lot with is how do I diversify? How do I get money out of my current jurisdiction, how do I get it invested in different things and understanding forex risk and all all those things while maintaining, you know, all my compliance issues. So for an American, sure, you can open up an account in Switzerland. You're still a US person for tax purposes. You have tax liability on that. You have form bank account reports. You have, depending on what your investments are, is that what they call a PFIC, a passive foreign investment company. You look at all those compliance issues, and but it is a good thing to diversify not only your resident citizenship and domicile, um, but also your money. So, if you'll excuse, you know, I, the polite way of saying it is wealth and well-being, family wealth and well-being. The more direct way of saying it is protecting your ass and your assets. The, the latter is fine on this show. You can say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know the the, the PG rating on oh, this. Oh god, no, 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 it's it's all good. It's all fine. So to go to go back, sort of, say, is there? I mentioned the reverse engineering thing. So when your when clients or your potential clients come to you, do you how, how many of those kind of backup plans or insurances inverted commas do you often advise having one really good one, or do you have multiple different plans depending on 
scenarios that can play through? Well, it depends on the client budget, depends on the client timing and, and situation. To go back to the to the uh, wildfire analogy, yeah. a wildfire chief will not put in a, a, a crew into a hot zone unless they've got at least two viable exits. Once they have less than two, they take them out because it's a wildfire. Things change, change very quickly. So for clients, ultimately, we would have several different options for them. And we may have different options for different family members. Um, one of the things we do a lot of is people going into places like the United States. So we had a South African family right now who said, you know, we've, we've known it's been a problem for a while, but we didn't, it wasn't urgent enough for us to overcome life inertia. And this client said, look, I knew I had a few pounds too many. I knew my blood pressure was a little high, but until I had the heart attack, I didn't do anything about it. Well, now with load sharing, the same client said, when my wife and I were sitting in the dark for two days of the week, we knew it's not going to get any better. Now is the time to go. So that client said, well, there's an adult. They'd already moved to Mauritius generation one. Um, but the the three adult children and and the grandchildren, they wanted to move to the United States. So they all went and a, and a salesman, uh, you know, was one of the things I I'm a fee-based advisor. I don't take commissions from Dubai real estate people or Portuguese fund managers or islands in the Caribbean. I get paid by my clients to provide the advice that's best for them. And some salesperson came in and said, oh, we'll sell you something called an EB-5 in the United States. So they all four sold four of these. That's over, that's uh, uh, $4,200,000 plus fees on top of that that they laid out out to them and stopped and said, okay, hold on. The adult children, they want to live in, in, in the U.S. for educational and career reasons, but what do the parents really want? They want access to the U.S. for visiting children and grandchildren, go to Disney World, you know, as investments. They don't need to expose the family wealth there. So we moved the family, for example, to Bermuda, known locally as the lower, lower east side. Um, they can fly into the United States. The family wealth is not there. It's a British overseas territory. They're now deciding, do we buy just kind of a, an apartment for the two of us and travel into the U.S. as necessary? Or do we buy more of a compound where we have kind of, you know, the extended family come to Bermuda for, for holidays? So it's understanding not all family members need to have the same solution can we just i just want to unpack this a little bit just to make it a bit more crystal clear for people listening here and and of course i don't want to share numbers of this example but i want to get an indication of the different options you just presented so so mm -hmm. just so i can clarify south african family right decided to leave their us kids want to go to the us mauritius was in play um but the options that are really interesting to me is the it's called the parents the parents could mm -hmm. have chosen to move into the US and potentially move their wealth into the US, which again, correct me if I'm wrong, is not the most efficient place to, to do that, right? Correct. Bermuda is. What's the difference between the two strategies? You know, give me give me some form of quantum without sharing anything confidential. So how sure. much saving did they make, if you want to call it that, by well, a Bermuda decision versus a 
you know, living in the U.S. decision? Well, the the uh, there won't be income and capital gains paid by, um, and let's just stick with federal. So let's assume okay. they move to a low tax jurisdiction like Florida or or, or Texas. Yep. Um, they would be saving, you know, twenty three point eight percent on capital gains. Uh, they'd be paying whatever um, double that for for uh, income tax on any income realized. Um, estate tax. There would be there is currently what's called a a, a a unified credit, and that's increasing with um it's about 14 million right now, depends on what inflation will be. But that retrogrades automatically on January 1st of 2026. So if they don't nobody knows exactly death is an event certain with an uncertain event date. But if they're not going to pass away by then, it's going to probably go back down to, you know, anywhere from three to four million. Well, this is a family worth $100 million. That's a 40% estate tax that they were that they completely avoided because they haven't become wow. domiciled in the U.S. So it can be quite substantial. And for the, those clients, they hadn't really thought about that. And certainly the, the salesperson didn't want to get between them and their sales commission on selling them EB5. I know, no, absolutely. And uh, and things and and the salesperson also didn't really even know the immigration rules and said, "Well, you know, you can't move until your EB5 is is done, the first stage of that." Well, there's country quotas for that, so that's quite long. And they said, "Well, we want so, to get so out of this." So they gone to this they gone to this visa broker <laughs> before they so spoke the, to you, David, the, or the, the strategy wasn't appropriate. It didn't deal with any of their needs from a timing point of view. It wasn't the most cost. It was the best for the salesperson, but it wasn't the best for the family. No. And then understanding from the tax point of view, you know, eventually you know, the parents are going to want to leave that to generation two and generation three and future generations. How do you do that tax efficiently, knowing that those those heirs are going to be U.S. persons? So, you know, there's something called GST, which is generational skipping tax. And so there's a lot of there's tax strategies and immigration strategies. And so I work a lot with tax lawyers. And it's a problem that we get in all kinds of countries where everybody is siloed. There's an immigration advisor, a tax advisor, maybe a family law advisor, and they don't know what the others are doing. And so, you know, as a as a tax savvy immigration advisor, I'm familiar with what the tax issues are, what the family law issues are. And there was an example in the UK. Um, one day my wife advised me, oh my God, Megan and Harry are leaving and they're going to Canada. Okay. So I, you know, called up the 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 the, the Daily Mail and sure enough, the uh Harry was being you know summoned to Sandram for you know, he was going to meet with the head of HMRC and CRA, which is the Canadian uh, equivalent. And they were going to tell him about, you know, how he was going to be double taxed and, and stuff. And I thought, at some point, somebody is going to tell him there is a tax treaty between Canada and the United Kingdom, which literally in the title says, for the purpose of avoiding double taxation. And so just as you don't go to the police for your defense strategy, you don't go to HMRC or CRA for your tax planning strategy. So I kind of threw away, a, wrote a, a throwaway blog, uh, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Sussex, here are some thoughts. Well, 
Daily Mail, Telegraph, Daily Express, Vanity Fair, everybody, I, because I happen to be an expert in immigration citizenship law in the UK, Canada, and the US. So I ended up writing a white paper about how Canada is a tax haven. Now, of course, they screwed it up by moving to California, but and not that I ever suspected I'd get the Sussex, but it presented to a lot of clients another option, a different way of thinking about it. Um, how are they, can we use the different jurisdictions? Um, we're getting a lot of tech workers and people coming from India and China, the EB, and we're having problems with something called the H-1B, which is kind of the skilled workers. So they want to be the next, you know, Silicon Valley founders. So they go, well, you know, how do I do that? Well, the EB-5 salespeople are saying, buy one of these things, give me a big commission, which is now in China, they don't tell you there's a 16-year waiting list before you'll ever see the United States. So I sit there and say, okay, well, Canada will take you, no investment required, simply because of your background. You can have a Canadian work permit and permanent residence very quickly. You can bring your parents to take care of the young children on super visas. You'll get health care. And if you've got a Canadian work permit or permanent residence on that Indian or Chinese passport, you're very easily going to get a U.S. Um, visitor visa to go for those you know, biweekly meetings at the headquarters in San Francisco. And guess what? In three years, after three years in the permanent residence, you're going to get Canadian citizenship. Well, there's a trade agreement between Canada and the U.S., which will allow you to move to the United States, get the thing issued unlimited a number of times at the border um, for as long as you want. You can come in on a TN visa, which, for example, my own nephew went and worked for Dropbox and then Google and then he married an American and got a green card. But um, he could have gotten a green card by simply going this path. So. It's looking at what's the goals and what's the best way of getting it. The sales guy will sell you the thing that pays them the highest commission, but is it the right solution? No, no, I get that. And, and I think this is where, you know, again, I'll, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning about navigating complexity, because I think some people may say, you know, hey, I just want to, I want to live in the US, right? And, you know, what's the, what's the way to do that? Well, I have to get a visa. So how do I get a visa? I'm going to Google it or speak to someone who's got a visa. And then, you know, every sponsored link on the Google search, you know, yes. pick the top one. And then all of a sudden you're in this situation. But I mean, one thing I'm sort of quite fascinated about in this is there's a couple of things actually. Um, the first one is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to say no to this, but is there, is there a, a, a kind of a commonality or, you know, some common trends that, that you advise on. So, so, you know, again, I'm going to come back to my Dubai thing a little bit like, you know, I, I, I've done my own sort of just looking around, I'm no expert in it, but all roads lead to Dubai for my situation in terms of, you know, the various things. Um, do you advise on certain things more often than not, or is everything unique depending on the situation of the client? There are jurisdictions which, you know, tools in the toolbox that we reach for yeah. more often than not that change over time. Um, Portugal, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Well, um, again, there is some changes actually happening this week on what are called the golden visa. Yeah. But if I've got somebody, for example, in your situation who says, I'm going to be nine months of the year somewhere, 
with the kids going to school, well, you don't need to go on a golden visa. You can go under a D7, no investment required. Your commitment to Portugal is that you're going to spend more than six months there. Well, if you've got kids, you're going to spend more than six months there. If you're trying to escape, you know, John O'Groats winters and live in the Algarve, you're probably going to spend more than six months there. Now, point. the question becomes, <laughs> if you're more than the six months there, you've saved on the immigration side and you get the same residence permit as the person who laid out for a golden visa. And you'll get the same five-year naturalization period, and you can turn on to get a Portuguese citizenship, which doesn't just allow you to live in Portugal. Do but you allows still you get the tax benefits from that situation? You know how they've got that, I uh, forget the exact time frame, where you know, your, any, any income that's coming from outside of there is, is low tax or no tax. Do you still get so that there's something called so, so there's something called the non-habitual tax residence, which is a 10-year holiday. That's the one. Yeah. So. Then we look at, okay, what does the NHR regime deal with? Okay, let's look at technical term here, stuff that you have. So the typical Brit may have, will have an ISA, will have some type of uh, maybe a public or a private pension. Um, they will have some capital that they put into uh, securities, you know, buying or selling whatever, whatever they want. They may have active business income. They may have a remaining active business income in in the UK. So we look at tax treaty withholding rates and all those things. So we look at all the stuff and what can we do with each one? And the NHR is quite useful in many ways, a little more complex than, for example, a lump sum in Italy or Greece, where you say it's a hundred thousand euros, whether you make, you know, a hundred thousand or a hundred million, it's a, you're, nobody actually writes a check any day, but you're going to send the government a hundred thousand a year in you is, know, is that, in, is that, in is that like capped is that a maximum cap so if i was making if i was making that's... two million a year income i'm going to pay 100 grand no matter what even if that goes up it doesn't matter correct plus you're not paying you know price waterhouse or deloitte or whatever for compliance costs you don't have to think about whether is this dinner you know a business can i write this off you know is no, don't go there. how many kilometers in my car it, it, did it, it, i were for business etc so the compliance you mean you mean these things? You mean these things yes, here? You don't have a shoebox full of receipts. I'm holding, I'm holding up for everyone listening. I'm holding up a heap of receipts here, just <laughs> just from my US trip. Don't even don't even go there. <laughs> and, and plus, you get to live in in Italy or Greece, which, as we're taping this, is not very pleasant because they've got a bit of a heat bomb hitting there. But oh, still, lovely. You know, <laughs> it, it's nice. Um, and so we look at kind of all these different factors. And so there are some jurisdictions that we we do more often than not, but we look at all the possible jurisdictions. I mean, for example, New Zealand was very popular with my Silicon Valley people. I love New Zealand. It's great, but it's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, which for some people, that's a great benefit. For other people, they go, that's oh, a 14-hour flight from LAX. Um, oh, I'm going to, you don't kind of just go to Sydney for the weekend. That's still oh, a significant flight, but some people really <laughs> like that, you know, situation. So um, I would say ones that are, we get a lot of people who are looking at the U.S. And so, you know, Canadians typically go there when the Mexicans elected AMLO, a lot, a lot American look there. How do we do that? Like our South Africans in a tax efficient manner, fulfilling everybody's lifestyle. UK, wonderful jurisdiction, great educational opportunities, great lifestyle, um, rule of law, um, you know, but 
family law remittance basis changes the IHT. Um, Portugal, okay. Golden visas, is that still available to you? Or are there other options that work better for you? Italy, you know, the, are you an EU national? Do we have to go with what we call, you know, La Dolce Vita visa? Um, all the different options. What's the cost? What's the benefits? What's the timing? Portuguese golden visas, tremendously backlogged right now. We've got, still got clients that we filed in December of 2020, uh, 2021 that still haven't been processed. But D7, I can do that in six to 10 weeks. Wow. So, so it's understanding all of yeah, these things. So, so what just, works for your yeah. timing? School years, liquidity events, you know. And does, well, um, because I mentioned, does Dubai come up much for you? Or there it, are, it does. Are there, it, are Dubai there... is certainly a, a jurisdiction that we look at a lot. So, for you know, the, the, the one of the top buyers, uh, buying groups right now in Dubai are UK nationals who move there. And it's great to get out of, you know, tax uh, for income and capital gains tax. However, it's a difficult argument to say because they only give you a 10-year residence permit that Dubai is my domicile of choice to get out of UK IHT. So you want to make sure if you're going to go to Dubai and you're a UK domicile that you otherwise plan to deal with the the IHT. You don't do, oh, I've solved it. No, you haven't solved it. Mm. So that's where we work with UK tax council to make sure that if IHT is an issue, what are the various strategies aside from acquiring a domicile of choice in another jurisdiction to deal with IHT? And I take it, you know, and this is something else that I've been considering as well is, is planning even further ahead. So, mm -hmm. so one of the conversations my wife and I had, um, which we've, you know, surprisingly aligned on, which is quite cool. Um, and again, I'll share this because I think it's interesting. We said, well, okay, so for, for the next 10 years, what does it look like? Well, you know, we've got to get our girls through school, right? And we want to make mm -hmm. sure that's, you know, a great education and, you know, a great environment for them to be in. So that's, that's a consideration. Once they have left school and they may choose to go to university or whatever else, what do we want to do then? Where do we want to be? And uh, the question that came up or the, the option that came up was was probably the US, probably Florida, because we go to Florida six to eight times a year. Currently, we've got two businesses there. Mm -hmm. um, but we definitely wouldn't want to go there with young kids for exactly the reason that you spoke about, you know, about mm -hmm. this idea. We just don't want them in that environment. So we're saying, OK, next 10 years, how do we mitigate tax as much as we possibly can? Once the girls are transitioned into something else and probably not living with us anymore, where would we like to be? Well, we'd like to be backwards and forwards, probably from Florida and the UK. Mm -hmm. And so, so we're sort of playing around with that. So we're going ahead now 20 or 30 years. Do a lot of your clients, do you approach it like that with them as well? Do you like go, oh, actually, 10 years is great to buy, but you know, inheritance tax is probably not going to play out. So now think about this. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah, it, we do try to look at, at at the longer term, and and again, this client base, the one percent, tend to look in the, in the longer term because they're not, you know, looking at oh my god, how do I cover the mortgage for the next month? No. So they they tend to have a longer term planning just by the nature of the clientele and business people do have a longer term planning. They're not looking at the next quarter; they're looking at kind of what's this three, five, ten year plan. And so in that scenario, I would say, okay, Nick, one of the things you may want to consider is 
while you're living in Dubai, you're going to be there for nine months of the year for the school. Why don't you plant a seed of getting an EU country passport by getting a golden visa in Portugal? You're not going to be spending six months in Portugal, so you're going to have to lay out money. So what's the best way of dealing with that? And summers in Dubai are pretty hot when the kids are out of school. So then you can go to to Portugal and clock in your six weeks of the year that I need you to do that to water that seed that you planted to bear the fruit of a, of a Portuguese citizenship after five years. So again, when your, your, your children are, are now graduating, they're of course UK nationals. They now have a EU country citizenship. So that opens up education opportunities like the Les Brunt's nieces and nephews and, and they can go, go everywhere. The U.S., okay, what, what's the ways of going into the U.S.? Again, you've got companies that you've established. We can very quickly uh, get you an L1 intercorporate transfer, which will let you live. That's That can be renewed um, and, and things. So that gives you another nine years in 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 the U.S. under that. Or you may be, you know, a number one podcaster, for example. So now we'll get you an O visa. So, which doesn't have a limit limit on it. Um, and that's much cheaper than, for example, an E2 that requires an investment in actively managing the business and becoming a U.S. person for tax purposes because you have to spend a certain amount of time. So it's looking at all the wow, different yeah, options, it's... what's going to work for you. And for a lot of clients, it's kind of, well... The only thing I can people say, well, what's going to what's the situation going to be in ten years? Well, the only thing I can tell you for sure is it's going to be different than today. So <laughs> let's look at what our options are today to get all these 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 things in place because there may not be a golden visa. I mean, we call it the Valentine's Day massacre and Valentine's Day of this year. The Irish closed their program, and the Portuguese said, "Oh, we're going to close our program." That yeah, you, literally you happened have, in a matter of two days. You might have to buy, you know, having 70% personal income tax in 10 years time. <laughs> yeah. Sheikh Rashid gets up on the wrong side of the bed and precisely there we go. Yeah. Well, listen, I've got one last thing I just want to um, ask you before we finish up. This has been incredibly interesting. And I'm, and I, you know what, I haven't really covered this in the detail we're going into today on the show before, you know, in 300 plus episodes. So I just want to say thank you in advance of us finishing for that. But what I want to talk about is um, expatriation. For a second and mm -hmm. align with that um maybe these things aren't directly aligned but certainly how i think of them it is is where you've got situations where there are countries like australia where i'm originally from i know the uk are considering it canada the us i think do this where it doesn't matter where you live right if you were born in a country they're going to follow you <laughs> for tax so one of the things i was considering is i've got a pretty large superannuation um amount sitting in australia still Yes. And I was considering expatriating on the basis that if they start to want to chase me around the world, I haven't lived there for 20 years, right? I haven't mm -hmm. really been there for five years. But this idea that, you know, people are getting, or the, the actual governments are getting more savvy to use your term on people like me. How, how do you, how do you broach that kind of complex little world? Well, it's a possible possibility of, of so I've been dealing with, 
the U.S. The U.S. and the Eritrea are the only countries currently which have citizenship-based taxation. Yeah, what's that? What's that called? What's the program? Is it called that citizen-based taxation? Citizenship-based taxation. So, right. if you look at the definition of who's a U.S. person for tax purposes, that's a U.S. citizen, green card holder, or somebody who spends too many days in the United States, called the substantial presence test. Effectively, 120 days. You raise the presumption can be rebutted by having closer connections, or if you're a prime minister who's moved to York, you can claim that. 833, 8833 treaty election. But for Australians becoming non-resident, other Australia, Canada, the UK, they are, you are your residence-based taxation. This is for income and capital gains, which yeah. may be everything from a day count to a closer connections test. So you have to understand what those are. Each country has its own little quirks. Mexico says, we don't care how little time you spend here. If you derive more than 50% of your current income from Mexican source, we're going to consider you still a Mexican tax resident subject to worldwide taxation. So, oh, okay. Well, how do I get out of that? Well, Mexico has tax treaties with a bunch of jurisdictions or tiebreaker rules. Same thing with severing your Australian tax residents by looking at tiebreaker rules. We talked a bit about domicile. Does the jurisdiction that you're leaving have an estate tax, which means that you want to acquire a domicile of choice in a jurisdiction like the Sussexes, like Canada, which doesn't have, a, or Portugal would work for this, a number of different jurisdictions do that. So it's coming up with that kind of planning to be able to deal with it. Citizenship-based taxation, will other jurisdictions do it? Well, politicians are just as avarice everywhere else as they are in the United States. It's a question of, can they do it from a practical viewpoint? The U.S., historically brought in citizenship-based taxation because at the time of the Civil War. Because if you can remember the movie Gone with the Wind, Rhett Butler had all his money in Liverpool. Um, and so they brought in, okay, we can't have people escaping that tax liability. So they brought in citizenship-based taxation. Then they dropped it. Then they brought back income tax after the First World War temporarily, still dealing with it temporarily. Other jurisdictions said, if you live here, according to a day count or some connections test, you're a taxpayer. The U.S. said, if you're a citizen, even if you're Boris Johnson, who was born in the U.S. and moved as a young child, you're still a U.S. person for tax purposes. Thank you, Boris. We want everything. Can oh, you, you break gotta... that? I mean, like if I was born in the U.S. and wanted to live in Dubai, could I, is there anything I could do to stop that? Give up your U.S. citizenship. That's or it, if you're it. going to be an American living abroad, sit there and say, I have U.S. source income. How do I do? Well, there's a tax treaty between Dubai and the U.S. So how do I reduce my withholding tax rate to 5%? That's pretty good. So for Americans, we, we kind of define them. Are you going to be an American living abroad, making sure you're tax compliant, reducing your global tax burden as much as possible? Or are you doing this as part of an expatriation strategy? And we oftentimes will get people who start with one and who morph into the second. And so mm, okay. if we're looking at, we have to look at kind of what's the issues in taking you out of your current jurisdiction. How do we do that as efficiently? Jurisdictions like South Africa and India, for example, well, it's not only tax, it's currency control issues. Um, in jurisdictions like China or Vietnam, that's a real issue. How do I get the money out? Um, and so we look at all these different strategies, kind of what I'll call the team of architects and designing the right house. Well, first, we've got to figure out what's your needs, 
what's the ground we're working on, how do we design it, and then project managing the building of it and making sure that, you know, everybody's acting as a team and not siloed. All right, man, this is fascinating. So last couple of questions. Who sure. is the ideal type of person you work with? It sounds like they tend to be quite high net worth individuals or family office types. Is that it or is there quite a spread? Um, there is a spread. We have, um, you know, the, the more the net worth, the greater the tax savings, the more valuable I become and, the, and, and, you know, my fees and the cost of everything I do becomes a rounding error compared to the taxes. Um, but we also <laughs> have a, um, increasingly because of the, of a, of a zoom based world and, and mobility and, and lack of needing to be in a physical location, I'll have everything from, you know, young professionals who are looking at, I'm about to enter my earning years. Uh, I want to have net as close to uh, uh, gross as possible. And I'm going to live around in different parts of the world uh, and do that. How do I, how do I do that? Well, oh, my, you know, my grandfather was from Italy. I'm going to get an Italian passport that opens up, you know, all of Europe to me. Oh, I'm Australian. I can also go to to New Zealand. Oh, I am, you know, a UK national. I'm going to also go to Ireland. Um, we look at kind of I'm a Canadian and there's a tax treaty or I'm a Mexican. We look at all I'm, I'm a Mercur citizen of Mercur. We look at all those different things. And so I deal with all kinds of different clients, what we do for them depends on kind of what their needs are. Obviously, you know, the 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 25 year old isn't particularly worried about a state tax. They're more focused on income and capital. How do I get net closer to gross by Q4 of next year? Um, I once had a fund manager or a master of the universe, as Tom Wolf called them, um, <laughs> who said whose complete focus was that. And I said, well, there's some estate tax jurisdictions. And the guy said, well, if I die, that'll be important. It's like, no, my friend, you will die. It's an event certain with an uncertain event date. You may not care. You may want to, you know, spend your last dollar tipping the grave digger, but you know, it is something to kind of worth considering. And as you go through the life cycles, the different stages of, you know, school, young career, you know, um, partnering up, possibly having children, those children going through, you know, going off to 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 uni, um, them you retiring, building up a business, uh, you know, what are your lifestyle needs? What are your medical needs? What are all those different things? You have different stages, and and we we can it reasonably anticipate what the next stage will be. So if we can prepare, the sooner we start, you know, uh, what is it? Time, quality, speed, choose two. Well, if we've got <laughs> lots of time, we can get a top quality solution for you at a lower cost. If you're calling me, you know, when the wildfire is kind of licking at your door. I get it. You're <clears> I get pay it. More. I get it. I get it. Very good, sir. Well, listen, where can people reach out to you, um, to your business, if they want to kind of get in touch and get, you know, some help in this area? Sure. I, I do have a long last name, which, by the way, means the hope in French. L'Esperance. Uh, okay. So you can go to L'Esperance Associate, uh, either on LinkedIn um, or David L'Esperance on LinkedIn, L'Esperance Associates on LinkedIn, uh, a website, L'Esperance Associates, uh, where they can find uh, all the contact details there. They'll find kind of a lot of 
blogs and articles and white papers um, and and things. I'd encourage them to uh, to reach out uh, if they've got any questions. Awesome. Well, this has been a heap of fun, David. Um, I've enjoyed it. I've geeked out a little bit for the last hour or so. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show. And anyone listening, I'm just going to encourage, particularly a lot of my clients are building to exit. You know, they're thinking about a how they can think differently about you know where they where they put their money after that and often they're also thinking about their next act you know once they've had that liquidity event which often means thinking about where they live so i'm just going to encourage anyone who's been inspired and educated today by this conversation to uh, to get in touch with david and his team to see if they can help so david thank you very much thank you Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.